This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. What was that like contains adult language and content and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to What Was That Like? I'm your host, Scott Johnson. This is a show where we talk to regular people, people just like you or just like me, who have found themselves in an extremely unusual situation. We'll hear their stories and get inside their head because we all want to know, what was that like? More information about each episode at whatwasthatlike.com. Here we go. Today we're going to hear from Jamie. Jamie had something happen to her when she was a teenager, and it clearly had a huge effect because she still thinks about it to this day. One night, she came back home from a trip to the grocery store. She parked her car, and before she got out, she saw a strange man standing on the sidewalk right in front of her car, and he stood there looking at her through the windshield. Less than 10 minutes later, that man was in her bedroom. Yeah, this is a creepy one. And if you like the way Jamie tells this story, hang around to the end because we'll talk about the true crime podcast that she hosts. And as always, I invite you to join the other listeners who support this show. You can do that at whatwasthatlike.com support. And now, here's Jamie. You were a teenager when this happened, right? I was. I was a senior in high school at the time, 18 years old. Okay. And where were you living? So I was living in Redlands, California at the time, which is in Southern California. It's what's known as the Inland Empire um, near San Bernardino, Riverside. Uh, and I was living with my mom in an apartment in, uh, you know, in actually a nice part of town. And I understand that your your parents had recently divorced, so it was kind of a, a new situation with you and your mom being just by yourselves, right? It was. It was the first place that she and I moved to when my mom and dad split up. And uh, so we hadn't been in the apartment for very long. I don't know exactly how long, but you're right. It was a fairly new situation. I was going to high school at you know Redlands High School. And um, yeah, my mom was working full time. She was a very busy career woman, and she was also in law school at the time. But yeah, th- th- this was a fairly new uh, situation for us. And did you have in the area where you were? Obviously, I'm in Florida. I have never been to to that area. Did you have any safety concerns at all about that area or that neighborhood? Not at all. I mean, it, I, I never even thought about not being safe at all. Redlands in general is a pretty safe town. There are bad parts, um, but where the apartment was, it was sort of uh, on the south side of Redlands, sort of of near uh, Loma Linda. And um, it's a good area. It's a very nice apartment complex, very clean. Um, I think a lot of like single professionals were living there at the time. This happened at nighttime. It was around eight o'clock. So it was after dark. Can you just take us through what happened that night? Yeah. So it was, like you said, it it was around eight o'clock in the evening. I want to say it was a weeknight. I I wanted, my mom reminded me later that it was my dad's birthdays, which would have been June, oh gosh, now June 12th of 1996. So whatever day of the week that was. And it was dark and my mom was in her room studying. I think she was studying for the bar exam at the time. And I just remember it was a warm, you know, summer night. And I remember going into her room and just kind of said, hey, mom, I'm going to run across the street. Um, I took my car to a grocery store. There was a Stater Brothers literally just right across the street. I said, I'm going to grab a few things. She says, okay, see you later. So I got in my car. I went to the store. 
I was there for maybe 15 minutes. Um, my mom reminded me later of what I bought and she kind of made fun of me. I bought these stupid, <laughs> at the time there were these sort of wedge like flip flops that were made of like this foam material. I know that sounds awful, but this is the nineties and Stater Brothers sold them. So I went across the street to go get those and who knows what else. But anyway, I was only there for a few minutes. I drove back to my apartment I entered the apartment complex. I didn't think about it until later, but there was a car right behind me at the time. I could see the headlights, but that could have just been anybody entering the apartment complex behind me. Was this a gated community? So you had to put a code in or just you could just drive in? I want to say that there was one of those sticks, those security kind of like, you know, Mm -hmm. arms that, that raise up after you put your code in. So I had done that and I don't remember if this person behind me, you know, as we often do, you just roll in, you know, in front of the, or I'm sorry, if you're in back of somebody, you just roll in without putting in a code. You may have done that. So I came in and, you know, the parking lot is very standard looking for an apartment. It's um, a bunch of parking spaces. Some of it's covered, some of it's not, you know, when you rent an apartment at these apartments, you know, you have Uh, maybe one or two uh, assigned spots that are covered that are sort of near your apartment. And um, before I pulled into our assigned parking spot, I went over to the community mailbox and it's a mailbox that we all share. You know, you put your key in, there's a bunch of mailboxes. And so I checked my mail at the time I was checking my mail. I just remember there were headlights behind me. It was dark outside and, you know, headlights on a car are very bright. So it sort of caught my attention. It was sort of distracting. So I turned around and I noticed that it was a, a white and gold or a white and beige uh, four-door Lexus. It was a very nice car. And I just noticed it. I just sort of looked, not for any reason other than the lights were really bright. And I noticed there was a man sitting in it. Uh, no big deal. I just thought this is somebody who probably lived at the apartment. I continued getting my mail, got back into my car pulled around to the left just a little bit and parked in my assigned parking spot. And so I'm sitting in the driver's seat, you know, parked my car, turned the engine off and I'm gathering the mail, which I had put, you know, in the passenger seat. I grabbed all the mail and I looked out my window, uh, my windshield, and I saw a man walking right in front of my car with both hands in his pockets. And he was glaring into my windshield, looking at me. And it gave me a very weird feeling. I mean, it wasn't one of those things where, oh, he's just glancing over and looking at you and then he goes about his business. He was glaring into the car and and it was weird. It made me feel weird, but you know, I don't know if it was because I was a naive teenager. Nothing bad had really ever happened to me, nothing super traumatic in my life. So I just gathered my mail and this is before, you know, cell phones were popular. Maybe cell phones existed, but I certainly didn't have one. Maybe if I did, I would have called somebody, but maybe not. So I get out of my car, I lock it and where he was walking in front of my car. So my car is parked in the assigned parking. So directly in front of my car, if I'm looking out my windshield, I can see a sidewalk that is running uh, horizontal to my car. So he's walking on that sidewalk in front of my car. So when I get out of my car, he, you know, is still walking. So when I, by the time I get out of my car and I get onto that sidewalk and start walking, he's now directly in front of me. And he's about, I don't know, you know, 15 feet in front of me, not too far. And he's continuing to walk with both hands in his pockets and I'm behind him. And I just kind of brushed off the glare and thought, okay, let me just walk to my apartment. No big deal. So he continues walking. Now, as you continue walking on the sidewalk, it it comes to a bit of a fork or a Y. It looks like a Y. So you can either continue walking straight, which is one part of the Y, which is where he was going, or you can veer off to the left to the other part of the, the Y, and that's where my apartment was. So he and I were, so he was walking straight. When I got to the section where I needed to turn left, he's still in front of me. I start walking left toward my apartment and I noticed that, you know, he had nowhere to go. If you continue walking straight on that sidewalk that he was walking on in front of me, you eventually are going to get to somebody's door who lives in the apartment, somebody's, you know, apartment door. And so that's what he did. He went and he walked as far as he could and he stopped basically on their doormat right in front of their door, almost as if maybe that's where he was going the whole time. Maybe he knew these people. 
Or maybe he lived there. Or right? maybe he lived there. Exactly. But um, I knew, I didn't know the people who lived there, but I had seen them coming in and out. And my first thought was, I don't think he knows those people. It just, I know that sounds so weird, but in my mind, I was like, I don't think he knows those people, but okay. He's standing at their door. Maybe he's going to knock and maybe he does know them. I continue veering to the left. Now, from where he's standing, facing their front door, to his left is about a five or six foot hedge, like bushes. So in other words, as I continue walking to the left, he's standing at those people's front door. As I continue walking toward my apartment, eventually we're not going to be able to see each other anymore because of this hedge. It was a pretty tall hedge. So I got to that point. I kept walking on the sidewalk toward my apartment. He's standing in front of those people's door and I could no longer see him. But something in my mind told me that I needed to turn around and see if he had backed up to to where he could watch where I was going. Because if he would have stayed standing in front of these people's front door, he would have not seen where I was going because the hedge was blocking. If he wanted to see where I was going, he would have had to back up and come, you know, uh, to where the hedge was no longer in his way. So something in my mind, I, I, I felt very strongly that he was following me and, or that he wanted to see where I lived, just something in my, whatever, a red flag or gut instinct. So I did it. I turned around and sure enough, he had walked away from the front door and he was standing there watching where I was going. He wasn't walking. He wasn't moving. He was just peering. He was just staring at me to see where I was going. And it, and it was at that moment when I thought, shit, something is going on. He doesn't know those people. He was only standing at their door to wait you know, for me to walk past. He Now he's come around the hedge and now he can see where I'm going. And I just got a chill through my body. And so at that point, I didn't want to, I wanted to run to my apartment and go inside and lock the door, but I didn't want to alarm him and make him aware that I'm aware that he's watching me. So I walked really fast, but tried to walk not so fast to where it looked funny, you know, to not raise any red flags to him. So I walked really fast. I was scared as hell. And of course, you know, it's almost like a scary movie. When I got to my apartment door, there's two locks. There's a deadbolt and then there's a lock on the doorknob. And my mom, and I'm the same way to this day, my mom's a lock freak. She locks every door always. I mean, she does not leave a door unlocked ever, no matter what time of day it is. So I pull out my key. I start to unlock, you know, the deadbolt. And of course, it's like a scary movie. It's like, oh gosh, it feels like it's taking hours. And so I got that one unlocked. I got the doorknob lock unlocked. I went in my apartment, shut the door really fast, closed the dead or locked the deadbolt, locked the other lock. And I just stood there in my living room and I'm like, okay, I'm safe. Even if he is watching me or following me, he can no longer get me anymore. And again, you know, I'm a naive teenager. Nothing traumatic has ever happened. So I didn't think I was in danger anymore. I thought I'm in my apartment. So even if he is a weirdo, I'm good. So this is the part of the story where I look back and I just think like, Jamie, what a dipshit, you know, you should have done something. You should have said something, but I didn't. I basically went straight down the hallway into my mom's bedroom. She was still studying at her desk in her bedroom. And I just started to tell her what I had gotten at the store. We just started having small talk. And so it was a summer night. It was warm out. This is a rare occasion, but on this particular night, my mom had her bedroom window open. So the breeze would come through, but my mom is also a privacy freak. She doesn't like people looking in on her. And especially we lived in a bottom floor apartment. So, you know, people walk by, there's a sidewalk, you know, right outside her bedroom window. So she had her blinds closed, but the windows open. I And I didn't think about this at the time. I, I, I thought about this later. The man from where he was standing to watch me walk into my apartment, he would have been right outside my mom's bedroom window. So since it was open, he could hear everything that she and I were saying. I mean, I didn't know this at the time, but you think about it later. He could hear everything we were saying, but more importantly, he knew at that moment that I was not in my bedroom. He knew exactly where I was in my apartment. He knew that I was in my mom's bedroom. So as she and I are just kind of making small talk, you know, 
three minutes or so, five minutes goes by. And then my bedroom is right next to hers. It's just a two bedroom, two bathroom apartment, not very big. Plus he could see, he could see that the light was on in your mom's room and it was not on in your room, right? Correct. Correct. Exactly. And I think that's another important thing where he could confirm, okay, she's not in her bedroom. Not only do I hear her in her mom's room, but her mom's light on her, her mom's light is on, but her bedroom light is not on. And as is the case with a lot of bottom floor apartments, my bedroom, the only window I had in my bedroom was a sliding glass door with vertical blinds. So I didn't even have like a regular window. It was just a sliding glass door that if you opened it and walked out, you would walk onto a little rectangular you know, patio with, let's say, a three to four foot tall you know, wooden fence with you know, a little hedge that surrounds the fence. So it would be very easy for somebody to sort of hop over that hedge and be on our porch. I don't know how many other people do this, but I like to plan my weekly meals. Maybe I'm just weird, but I like quick and easy. That's just one of the benefits you can get with Cook Unity. Go to cookunity.com slash what or enter code what before checkout to get 50% off your first week. One of the dishes I recently had was the Green Goddess Falafel Bowl. Oh, I loved it. The falafel was seasoned perfectly, and I love how crispy it is on the outside, but really moist on the inside. It's a signature dish of Enat Admoni. She's known around the world as a chef. You've probably seen her on TV, and her dishes are made right here in Florida, so I'm supporting local business, and I love that. And the convenience of Cook Unity is crazy. I mean, I've got podcast episodes to produce. I don't have time for cooking. These meals are delivered fully cooked. So when it's time to eat, I pick a meal based on my mood for that day. I heat it for a few minutes and enjoy. The menus are updated every week, so there's always something new to try. You can choose from over 350 meals based on your dietary needs or taste preferences, or go wild and have Cook Unity pick for you because every meal is just amazing. Make the best meal plan ever with the convenience, chef level quality, and endless variety of Cook Unity. Go to cookunity.com slash what or enter code what before checkout for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using code what or going to cookunity.com slash what. Something I've been recently making a deliberate effort with is to read more. There are lots of books I want to read and I try to read every day, even if it's just a few pages. That little bit each day adds up and it can make a big difference. It's like taking care of your gut. Even though it's not big, it supports the health of your whole body. Seeds DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic benefits not just your gut and your heart, which aren't outwardly visible, but your skin too, which you can see. Every morning it's the same thing. Two capsules of Seed DSO-1. And sometimes I wonder, is it normal to feel this great? It helps support digestive health with optimal gut bacteria levels. And thankfully that's all backed up by science. And all the supporting data is on their website. If you're trying to avoid sugar, soy, peanuts, or gluten, you're good to go. And I was reading the literature and I thought, you had me at vegan, because it's that too. And if you have kids, DSO-1 is the first multi-strain symbiotic shown to be tolerable and health-promoting in a cohort of children aged 3 to 17. And you can use this promo code to give it a try. Trust your gut. With Seeds DS01 Daily Symbiotic, go to seed.com slash what and use code 25what to get 25% off your first month. That's 25% off your first month of Seeds DSO1 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com slash what, code 25what. And so since it was summertime, when I left to go to the store, I maybe I consciously or unconsciously, I had left my sliding glass door open just a little bit, maybe like a foot, but the screen was closed. And also the vertical blinds were totally closed. So nobody could see in. I couldn't see out, but the sliding glass door was cracked open about a foot or so. If your mom being a, being a uh, lock freak, if she would have known that sliding glass door was open, would she have closed and locked she it? She would have closed it. Absolutely. My mom, just because she knows, I, you know, she was in her room, so she left her window open. That was fine. But I wasn't in my room. And also it's a vertical, I'm sorry, it's a sliding glass door. So somebody could easily walk in. My mom would have totally closed that sucker and locked it had she known I left it open, but she didn't know. Mm -hmm. She was preoccupied. So when I'm done talking to my mom in her bedroom, I have 
one or two bags of groceries in my hands and I go to walk in my bedroom, but literally right when I get to the door jam, from where you're, when you enter my bedroom straight ahead, you see the vertical blinds and the sliding glass door. So when I went to walk into my bedroom, the first thing I noticed were the vertical blinds were sort of swinging back and forth a little bit in the area where the door was open, where you would walk in. And it caught my attention, but everything happened so fast. I didn't really have time to react. Before you know it, all of a sudden I see the top of somebody's head coming through the sliding glass door. And, and within seconds, there is a man standing in front of me in my bedroom. And I don't know if I dropped the groceries or what, and I didn't remember what I told him or said to him at the time. My mom had to tell me later, but when I saw him, I I mean, I kind of took like a step back and I said something like, who the fuck are you? I I was just very shocked, you know, and I I remember being angry, Um, like, how dare you? Why, Why are you in my bedroom? But the strange thing is that I startled him. He obviously was not expecting me to walk into my bedroom in that moment. I think looking back on it now, he was trying to take advantage of that moment when I was in my mom's bedroom talking to her. It was nighttime. You know, I had a walk-in closet at the time. I had a day bed where there was a lot of room under the bed where he could have laid and hid and waited for me to go to bed, all kinds of things. But um, I think he was trying to take advantage of the fact that I wasn't in my bedroom. So he was going to sneak in and who knows what he was going to do afterward. But I caught him. I mean, I walked in at the perfect moment. And I mean, gosh, of course, to this day, I think about what if I would have walked in even five seconds later, where would he have been? Would he have been in my closet? Would he have been hiding somewhere and attacked me, you know, and caught me off guard? So- that's kind of the scariest part of the whole story is what could have happened if you hadn't. Oh, man. Uh, it, it terrifies me. And I mean, I can, I mean, I joke about it with friends now and I think about it often and I talk about it. Obviously, I, I got out of this safely, but it is so terrifying to think how my fate would have been different had I walked in just a few seconds later. You know, I don't know if he would have waited for me to go to bed and then struck. I don't know if he was just there to get something out of my underwear drawer. You know, I, I just don't, I don't know. Um, but it's very scary to think about. So when I walked in and I kind of said, you know, something like, you know, who the fuck are you? Why are you in my room? He was very startled and caught off guard and he didn't know what to say. And he hadn't planned for that. It was very obvious. So he goes, he kind of stuttered and he says, um, I, um, my cat, my cat, my cat ran into your bedroom and I'm just trying to get my cat, uh, this, this and that, you know, so he just totally made up a story on the spot. It was obvious. And I just kind of yelled at him again. I said, your fucking cat is not in my room. I don't know what you're talking. Get out of my house. Da, 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 da. And he said something. I don't know what he said. And my reaction was, ew. I said, ew. My mom told me I said that later. And I think that I said that because I remember feeling in the moment that gross, like pervert, you know, who are you? Get out of my room. And um, I don't know what was, what words were exchanged after that. I can't tell you how long he was in there. It was probably 30 to 60 seconds, if that. And um, so at that moment, he backs out. He leaves my room. He goes back out the way he came in. And another part of the story I think that seems almost unbelievable is my mom was just in the other room. She could hear everything that was going on, but she thought I had a boyfriend at the time and he would come over often and we were always very playful and joking with each other. You know, she recalls that, you know, she just, number one, she was preoccupied. She was studying. So she could kind of hear something going on, but she thought I was like just having playful banter with my boyfriend. She did not. I mean, you you wouldn't think at the time, you wouldn't automatically assume, I think, that it's like some bad guy in your daughter's bedroom. So it took her a few seconds to realize my daughter's in trouble. But at some point she did realize, oh shit, there is something going on. I can hear in Jamie's voice or something I said. Well, my mom always packs a gun. So she had a, had a loaded gun. My mom's a little bit of a badass. 
she uh, she had a loaded gun in her desk, as she always did. And so she comes running into my room with her gun in her hand. And I said, there was a man in here. He went that way. So she runs out my sliding glass door. She jumps over the hedge, which, you know, he probably did the same thing to escape. And she's got the gun pointed, you know, and she's just like looking around. It's nighttime. She doesn't see him anywhere. And I said, he probably ran that way toward the parking lot. And I actually don't remember if she chased him all the way to the parking lot. She must have done some running around to see if she could find it, but he was nowhere to be found. And so, I mean, I was just shaking. My mom was shaking. We called the police right away. I remember the police showed up. They took a report. They asked me, you know, the, the standard questions. What does he look like? What did he look like? What did he say? And I've tried to get my hands on that report. And I can't remember exactly what they said. I called the Redlands PD. I want to say, I mean, it almost sounds like a movie, like it's not real. They're, they had some sort of flood or something with their system. And there was not a way to get that record, you know, get a report, get that report. I actually still want to make a few more attempts. I feel like I, it's probably still somewhere, but you know, I just didn't talk to the right person. But I remember them asking me specifically about his description, and to this day, I remember distinctly, you know, very very specific details about you know what he was wearing, what color his hair was, he was Caucasian, all these things. But when the police officer looked at me and he says, "Okay, did he have any facial hair?" The oddest thing is I couldn't say whether he had facial hair and he was standing right in front of me for at least 30 seconds. And, um, you know, he was standing four feet away from me, five feet away. And I just think I was in so much shock. I don't know if it's something that the brain does, but it's like, maybe I wasn't trying to look at him. Maybe I was just in so much shock. I really didn't clearly look at his face. It's, it's kind of hard to explain, but, um, that would be a weird psychological phenomenon to to explore because I mean you you said you could you could remember what he was wearing yes but just not what his face looked like that's interesting absolutely yeah so he I mean he was about you know call it five ten to six feet tall Caucasian man silver or gray hair short clean cut hair he had a white nice polo style collared uh, shirt. I want to say, I don't know if it was short sleeve or long sleeve. He had nice khaki pants. He had dress shoes on. So I worked, you know, in the corporate field for about 18 years, you know, of my life. And I know how men dress when they have a professional job. I don't know if he was a, an accountant. I don't know if he was an attorney, maybe a real estate broker. Maybe he worked at a bank, but it almost looked like what a man would wear on a casual Friday at a corporate, like a business type job. He was very nice, very well dressed, uh, clean cut. He looked like, I remember at the time I would tell people, you know, he looked like the CEO of a bank. He truly looked like he probably had many people who reported to him at work. He truly looked like a professional. And my theory is that, you know, he lives and works nearby that area. It's a small town. I mean, it's not that Stater Brothers is not the type of place where somebody would just be driving through and stop there, but they live 45 minutes away. You know, I'm almost positive he lives in the Redlands or Loma Linda area, probably very close to that grocery store, probably works very close by. I think that he probably was working and he decided to stop at the grocery store on his way home from work. I think that he saw me at the grocery store. This is what the police theorized. And decided at that moment to follow me home. And I think that he probably was the car behind me as I was pulling into my apartment complex. I think that he was that in that Lexus uh, when I was getting my mail. And again, it was a very nice car. Um, was he the one that was glaring at you into your windshield? Yes. So he that that was the same guy. And so there were all these startling moments, all these red flags that. I should have picked up on, and I did pick up on them, but I ignored them. I kept telling myself, again, maybe I'm a naive teenager or or whatever, but um, I just kept telling myself, no, Jamie, bad things don't happen to you. That just happens to people on the news. You know, you're you're just a dumb teenager. You don't if you've never been through anything really traumatic in your life. I guess you know you just sort of explain things away. You just think that bad things only happen to somebody on the news. Are, are you an optimist by nature? I am. Okay. 
I am. I explains I, it too. You know, you d- you don't expect anything bad's going to happen. It's all going to be good until proven right. otherwise. That's right. And I think that I've shifted. You know, now being that you know I host a true crime podcast and I, you know, have really been into true crime for many many years. I, I have a certain paranoia now and I have a certain distrust. Like the other day I took a quick walk at work and it was in the middle of the day in a in a nice area. And there was a man walking behind me and I kept sort of turning to my side to just make sure he wasn't running up on me. <laughs> you know, because I just I think of those things now. I do know now that it is possible for you to be attacked and to be the victim of a crime. But yeah, back then I I trusted a lot, you know, almost everybody thought everybody was my friend, really didn't think that anything would ever bad would ever happen to me. It's just interesting that so many red flags were there. I got chills. Um, my gut was telling me that something was wrong. You know, I probably should have stayed in my car when I got that feeling and drove around the street, maybe went to a payphone, or maybe I sh- should have gone back to Stater Brothers and called my mom and said, hey, there's a weird guy looking at me. But I guess at the time, I'm just you don't think the worst. No, you don't. And there's something about intuition. And for me, I think in particular, female intuition, there's, you can sense, I don't know what it is. There's nothing that you can probably quantify Mm -hmm. medically or psychologically or anything, but I've been in situations like that with a female and that was like, okay, this was, this doesn't feel right. We need to get out of here. And so we did, but yeah. So how did you, were you even able to sleep that night? No, um, I sl- <laughs> I didn't want to sleep in my room. For some reason, I didn't want to be near windows. So I slept on the floor in a hallway where there was like two walls on either side of me. Um, and I just slept right there because I was so freaked out. Didn't want to be in the apartment. Definitely didn't want to be near windows for some reason. So after that, my mom and I were so freaked out that this guy knows where we live. He hasn't been caught. And so we went to the um, the apartment management office the very next day and said, hey, we want to put up some flyers of a description of this man. He came into my daughter's bedroom you know, last night. We want to warn everybody. Well, of course, the apartment complex didn't like that because that's bad for sales You know, to say, hey, a crime happened here in these apartments. So they wouldn't let us put up the flyers. Well, that pissed my mom off and my mom is very feisty and, you know, and obviously she's very concerned about her daughter's safety and her safety. And she says, well, just letting you know, we're, we're moving out. Like we're, I know we have a few more months on our lease, but we're going to break our lease. And I think the apartment complex manager tried to argue with her a little bit about that, but my mom was like, yeah, try me. (laughs) We're leaving. I like your mom. I don't even know her, but I like her. (laughs) I love her. She is so, she is a, I mean, she's a five foot two little feisty pit bull is the way I would describe her. Mm -hmm. She's awesome. Um, But yeah, she wasn't having it. And she said, no, 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 we're moving out. So we did. Of course, they never came after us uh, for breaking our lease. And we moved, we still stayed in Redlands, um, but we moved to a house kind of a few miles away. And to this day, you know, this man that I know, that I know of has never been caught. The the craziest thing that I always think of besides what would have happened if I would have walked in my bedroom, you know, just a few seconds later, I think the primary thing that I think of is that this man struck me as somebody's husband, somebody's boss, possibly somebody's grandfather, a professional, probably somebody who's well-known in the community. That's kind of the way that Redlands is, you know, professionals, there's all these networking groups and everybody knows everybody. And my thought was, you know, I don't know if this is the first time he's ever done this. I doubt it would be the last time because I think that somebody who has those urges, I think will continue to do things like that. But it just struck me as so shocking that this man is in our community. He's probably going to go to work the next day. He's going to lay down in bed next to his wife. And they have no idea that he follows young girls home and comes into their bedroom. I mean, he he did not at all look like a creepy guy. I mean, I doubt he, he probably doesn't even have a criminal record prior to that time, you know, and maybe still doesn't. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It it makes me think, you know, BTK was a pretty well-respected yes. guy too. Yes. And you, that is what BTK, by the way, is like probably the serial killer that fascinates me and scares me the most. And and that's part of the reason um, is, gosh, these, these guys – you know, they're very well known in the community. BTK was very involved in his church. His family had absolutely no idea. And I think it's the same for this guy, the guy that came in my room. I really trip out on the fact that I really think that people have no idea of his uh, extracurricular activities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I've reached out uh, in my Facebook group um, to, I've posted pictures because I still have family and friends in Redlands and it is a small town. I still have his description. I would bet money that he, at the time, you know, he lived in that area. I know somebody knows him. I know what his car looked like. So I feel like I have enough information that, that, you know, maybe it's as simple as, Hey, did you have a friend or know of anybody, you know, who had a friend uh, who had a dad who drove a Lexus that looked like this back in 1996 and worked a professional job? And I've had people comment before. There was one girl in my Facebook group who said somebody had come into her house and I tried to set up a time to talk to her to see if maybe it was the same guy. And we, we uh, for some reason, we never were able to talk. But I'm very interested to find this guy. And I wonder, is he in jail? Is he out in the community? I don't know. If you looked, have you looked through mugshots? Do you think you would recognize him if you saw him in a mugshot? That's the sad part is that I was just talking to my daughter about this the other day. I feel like if he were to walk by me and bump shoulders with me, I would have no idea that it was him. I would, I definitely, I know you know, obviously, like I said, medium build, his height, Caucasian, he had silver hair at the time. I know all those things, but I could never, you know, look at his face right now and go, oh, that's definitely him. Cause he looks like so many white men that I've come across in my life. So I, I don't know. I, I could tell you who it wasn't. I mean, maybe I could say, oh, no, that's definitely not him. Definitely not him. But I feel like I probably wouldn't be able to pinpoint. Um, and of like course, his, if you saw him now, his appearance would have changed some, somewhat as well anyway. Yeah. Since that time, have you, have you ever been in a situation where your gut told you something and you still ignored it? Mm, good question. Not that I can recall. I'm pretty hyper aware since then. And, and especially after becoming a mom, I am, you know, I, I think at the age that this happened to me, I was also very, you don't want to offend anybody. And I think as a female, you want to please everybody and you don't really want to offend anybody. But, um, you know, I'm 41 now. I have three kids. I could give two shits about being rude to somebody if I think that they're being inappropriate or if they're walking behind me and making me feel awkward. I would have no problem now, you know, just turning around and waiting for him to walk in front of me. So I don't have somebody behind me watching where I'm going. But I can't think of a time that I ignored my gut since then. I've learned, I learned a big, big lesson from that incident. Do you you have security cameras in your home? We do. And dogs. And I keep lights on when my husband's out of town. I keep the backlight on, the front lights on. I think that lights are a really good deterrent. I think dogs help. And close those patio doors. Right? Oh my! I am a lock freak. <laughs> I, I not only lock them, I put a um, we put a stick in the sliding glass door too. Mm-hmm. You know? Yep. But uh, yeah. I mean, you definitely have a certain paranoia if something like this happens to you, and I, I think it's healthy. It's it's um, my family makes fun of me sometimes because my daughter's like, "Mom, stop!" Like when my daughter, you know, she's seventeen. When she takes Ubers, I always make her give me a screenshot right when she gets in, give me a screenshot of what the person looks like, their name, their license plate number. And that's not to say that that will stop them from committing a crime against her, but then at least I I have that information. And I always tell her, I go, Drew, when you get in the car, 
just casually in conversation, you know, say something like, oh yeah, my mom and dad, you know, monitor everywhere I go and um, just make them aware that like, we know you're in the Uber with him and that you screenshotted a picture of him and sent it to your mom. And she's like, oh, I'm not going to do that. That's weird. But I'm like, well, just put them, just nicely put them on notice that we know who they are. (laughs) Right. Yeah. You can do that without being rude or offensive too, you know, just so they are aware. If he were listening right now, what would you say to him? Oh gosh, so many things. I would say, what were your intentions that night? I would say, do you have a family? And what would your family think of you following a girl home and coming into her bedroom? And I would say, try that again, motherfucker, and I'll kill you. (laughs) Excuse me. I think he would be aware of that and probably not. He would go for an easier target next time, I think. I I hope so. Well, I mean, I hope he doesn't go for any target. Yeah, but um, yeah, I still get angry thinking about it because it's just such a violation, honestly. Well, this story, the story you just so wonderfully told, was a topic of a true crime podcast episode. And not just any podcast, it was your podcast. It's called Murderish. Can you tell us about your show? Yeah, yeah. So um, it's funny. I did tell this story on my podcast called Murderish. And it was fun. It's called A Stranger in My Bedroom. At the time I recorded it, I was very new at podcasting and I had run out of material. I was running behind on a story that I was researching. So I thought, oh, let me just tell this story on the podcast. Nobody's going to like it. It's going to be my worst episode. It doesn't end in murder. So nobody's going to be interested. And so I recorded it just because I was simply out of material, but wanted to put out an episode. And to this day, it's my most downloaded episode. I think, I guess people are interested in hearing maybe like a firsthand account of you know, something like this that happens. But yeah, so Murderish, I started podcasting. I started Murderish uh, just over probably like, oh gosh, I guess it's been two and a half years. And I've always been somebody who is very fascinated by true crime. I mean, ever since I was a preteen, I was reading books about serial killers and following court cases on TV with my mom, because she's also, you know, always been very into it. And I started listening to podcasts because I had a really horrible commute uh, here in LA for many years. And so one of my coworkers said, Jamie, why don't you listen to podcasts in your car? And I had no clue what a podcast was. And he told me, go listen to this podcast called Serial, of course. And I did. And I loved it. And I became obsessed. And I started just binging podcast after podcast. And I love telling stories. I love talking about true crime. But what really launched my podcast um, or was sort of the catalyst was I was chosen to be a juror on a first-degree murder trial out here in Los Angeles County for a murder that happened out here where I live. And so I ended up being the jury foreman. It was a little over two-week trial. It was a fascinating, obviously very sad and, and exhausting experience. But I wanted to tell that story. And so that ended up being my first episode. So I opened up Murderish with the Arvizu murder, and that was my experience being a juror, and it's just gone from there. And so today, I kind of tell people that, you know, on the podcast, I sort of give listeners a 3D look into fascinating murder cases. I always start with the town uh, where it happened. I talk about the victim and the perpetrator and their backgrounds. I talk about how the victim and perpetrator's worlds collided, how they came to know each other, uh, details of the crime, what happened, why it happened, what was the motive, talk about the investigation, and then I sort of walk you through the trial and the verdict, uh, the sentence, and then anything that has happened after the trial. And uh, episodes are about an hour long each time, and I try to go really deep to give people all the details that I would want to hear if I were listening to a true crime podcast. What would you say, and I'd I know about your show, but I've only recently discovered it. And so I haven't really listened to too many episodes. What's one of your favorite episodes that you've covered? Oh, man. Um, Well, it's sort of weird to say it's my favorite episode, but it's my worst episode because it's the case that haunts me to this day. 
it's a case that I always swore that I would never cover because to be honest, whenever it would it would come on the news, I would change the channel selfishly because it was so horrific and so sad that I didn't want to dive into the details. I knew enough that it broke my heart. And um, that's the Gabriel Fernandez case. And I decided to cover it. I think I had a listener who reached out and just said, hey, you should cover this case. And I was kind of like, uh, kind of resistant to it. And I finally did. And it is the absolute worst murder case I have ever come across in my life. He was a young boy who was actually murdered by his own mother and her boyfriend out in Palmdale, California, which is not far from where I live. And um, it's a horrific, very, very sad case. And I have very loyal listeners who listen to every episode. And that's one episode they say they can't listen to, some of them. So I would just say it's my favorite, my favorite episode because it's sort of the case that is closest to my heart that I think about the victim most often because it's just so, so horrific. It does sound pretty intense. It is. I have loyal listeners too. And there's one episode of my podcast that some people have uh, that are, that are unable to listen to. And that's about a man who ate his own foot. Oh, experimenting with cannibalism. And (gasps) it's not, it's not as bad as you might think. I mean, this is a very intelligent, well-spoken man. He and a group of friends. Uh, well, you just got to listen to it. Okay. But, so uh, when you first said that, I thought, okay, he did it to save himself. Maybe his foot was No, there was no survival. <gasps> no. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Not one of those stories. <laughs> it's called <laughs> Shiny Ate His Own Foot. So, But I know I have, and I have some listeners who listen to wow. all my shows, but- it's like they say, oh, it's just I just can't do that one. <laughs> it's the one episode. So. Wow. I mean, I, it wasn't even that he was like super hungry. He just was experimenting <laughs> for some yep. odd reason. <laughs> That's Yeah, it was odd. That's for sure. Wow. He had a group of about 10 friends. Oh my God. So, it wasn't even just one that, who was interested in eating their, themselves. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. How did you come up with the name Murderish? So, I love that name, by the way, because it's, you know, as soon as you hear it, you know what this thing's about. But right. it's yet it's not really a word, so you really have a monopoly on that word. So, but how did you think of that? Thank you, and I love the name of your show as well. It tells you exactly what you're getting into. Um, so, I I don't know if it's a Southern California thing that we you know we speak very casually and there's a lot of slang, um, or if it's just something that I do a lot. But I tend to put an ish on the end of a lot of words when I'm speaking to friends. You know, I might say, "Oh yeah, I'll be." I'll be at dinner at 10, you know, 10 ish, or I will, you know, yeah, that movie was sort of good ish. You know, there's just sort of an ish that I throw on the end of words. It's just sort of in my um, everyday vocabulary. And as I was getting ready to launch the podcast, I kept thinking in my head, it's not that I'm a murderer. I'm just somebody who is interested in learning about the psychology of murderers and the details of these murders and why they happen. And So I kept sort of circling around in my brain. Well, I'm not a murderer. I'm just, and it just came to me and I just said, well, I'm not a murderer. I'm just murder-ish. And so now that's kind of my slogan, you know, that I say at the end of every episode, you know, listening to this podcast doesn't make you a murderer. It just means you're murder-ish, meaning, you know, you're just kind of like you're murder-ish. You like to, to, to learn about, you know, murder cases and, and you like to watch true crime TV and, it's fun because I have a Facebook group with with a lot of listeners in there and we we chat and you know just kind of say funny things and share funny posts and um we ca- I call them ishers and they use the word often too and they'll say oh yeah I'm just don't worry I'm not going to murder anybody I'm just murder ish don't be afraid of me and it's a lot of fun but that's kind of how I came up with the name it was sort of random I guess You are so good at branding that is Thank just you. it's incredible and especially, I mean, just one aspect that when you, when you say the line, if you like this, it's not, it's not because you're a murderer, you're just murderish. It's like you're giving people permission to enjoy hearing these stories, even though they're so horrific and maybe right. they should feel guilty about enjoying these stories, but you're saying, no, it's okay. You're just yeah. murderish. You We're know? just murderish. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Thank well, you. So how can people find your show and, and contact you if they wanted to? 
Yeah. So I just built out a website finally after two and a half years. So they can check out the show and a little bit more about me and they can actually listen to the show at murderish.com. They can find me on all podcast listening apps. I'm on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, you name it. And they can find me on social media. I'm on Twitter at MurderishPod. I'm on Instagram at MurderishPodcast. And I have a really fun Facebook group, a Facebook discussion group. So if you just go to Facebook and you search Murderish Podcast Discussion Group, you'll find it. Just hit join. You answer a couple questions and we have a lot of fun in there. All right. Well, I'm sure we'll send a few listeners your way because I know a lot of the listeners to my show, even though, even though what was that like is not really a true crime show, but some of the episodes that we deal with are true crime uh, by nature. So I I know there's a lot of crossover in that audience. So um, look forward to hearing that. And Thanks so much for sharing your creepy story. (laughs) Thanks so much for letting me tell it. I really appreciate it, Scott. It's been fun. I hope you enjoyed that story as much as I did. If you check out Jamie's podcast, Murderish, tell her you found out about it here on What Was That Like? And I got a message from a new listener. She heard me recently on another podcast called Podcasts We Listen To. It's hosted by Jeremy Collins. Jeremy and I talked for about an hour about my show and the crazy stories we have on here. If you want to listen to it, just do a search on your podcast player for podcasts we listen to. And my interview is the episode that came out on January 15, 2020. Anyway, Irene heard me on that show, so she came over and checked out what was that like, and she wrote me this email. Hi, Scott. I just listened to the episode about The Lighthouse Keeper. You mentioned you'd like to get contacted by your listeners, so here I am. I heard you interviewed on podcasts we listened to this morning and downloaded your podcasts. The best thing so far for me is that you have an incredibly soothing voice. You need to be podcasting. Oh, you are. You listen very well, and you don't interrupt your guest. I stopped listening to some podcasts because they keep interrupting the story. And Irene, I have to tell you, I agree with that. That's one reason I'm pretty conscious of trying not to do that. Back to the email. I'm looking forward to going through your back catalog, and then I might be brave enough to listen to your computer podcast to see what I can learn. I have a love-hate relationship with computers. Anyway, I really do like your podcast. A new fan, Irene. So thank you for that, Irene. I love getting messages like that. And if you want to be like Irene and send me a message, you can email me at scott at whatwasthatlike.com. You could even record an audio message and send that. I might just play it right here on the show. And if you haven't joined our Facebook group yet, seriously, what is wrong with you? Great discussions with other listeners over there. So join up at whatwasthatlike.com slash Facebook. And that's it. I'll see you in two weeks.